This is the EFCA Theology Podcast, made to help pastors and church leaders stay passionate about the gospel and faithful to the scriptures. Earlier this year, EFCA pastors and church leaders gathered in Austin, Texas for EFCA 1, our biennial national conference. The focus of the conference was on EFCA's foundation stones, which are the essential values that have guided our movement from the very beginning. On this episode of the podcast, we share a conference message by EFCA President Kevin Complin on abiding in Christ, a foundational value of the EFCA. It is exciting to be able to be here with you today. In fact, I was reflecting back that it was two years ago that I stood before this conference and gave sort of my comments after being installed and being in this role. And it's been a two-year journey that only God knew what it was going to look like when we started. And there's been twists and turns in the road, and there have been some things that have been great joys and some things that have been deep difficulties. And yet the reality is, every step along the way, we've seen the hand of God at work, and I've been privileged to be able to work with teams of leaders across the free church that have helped us to move forward God's call and mission upon us as an EFCA. And as I've been thinking about from that time in San Diego area at North Coast Church, following that conference, I I spent a couple of weeks just really asking the Lord, so Lord, could you give me some deeper sense of what you would want me to be doing as the president of the free church? I mean, you can imagine there are lots of things that I could have been doing. And as I prayed and thought, it became really clear there were a couple of things he was driving deep in my heart. Number one is that it's going to be important for us as we consider how we can reach people far from God with the gospel that we begin to have the mindset of missions everywhere we do ministry, whether it's here in the U.S., obviously around the world, but thinking, how can we ask that question, where are the unreached, the unengaged, the unnoticed, and the uninterested people around us, and who cares for them with the heart of Christ that could partner with us to try to reach them? But the second was something that it's been interesting, it's kind of taken a life of its own, and it's been fun to watch. Because we've gathered here again, as we do every two years, for what we call EFCA 1, a gathering of leaders and pastors from churches all across the U.S., missionary staff from around the world, some of our partners we do ministry with. And as I was spending time in prayer and thinking, it's like the Lord just put on my heart, Kevin, you just came from an event called EFCA 1. What I really long for is that the free church could be one EFCA. Local churches, regional districts, national and international ministries of the free church. Working together arm in arm for some shared things we're going after based on values we share and relationships of trust. And as I began to pray through that, I I came to the realization that it would be very important that we try to articulate what some of those deeply held values are. And as I spent time in prayer, talking with people across the country, and looking back at the history of our movements, I really came to to see there are six what I call foundation stones, and they're, they're just on the screen behind me. These six foundation stones that we're going to be looking at during the course of these three days together are the foundation upon which God has built the free church for over 100 years. These things were there when Norwegian, Swedish, and Danish immigrants came across to this country and founded free churches. They're there today. 
And it's important for us as we think about where we're going in the future that we understand who we are. Because I am convinced, friends, that what we do ultimately comes out of who we are. And we must be reminded again. Not so that we live in the past. Not so that we try and recreate the past. We celebrate what God has done. And we look ahead to what he will do. But we do it based upon who he's called us to be. And in fact, over the course of these days together, we're going to be spending time thinking about these six foundation stones I get to launch today, talking about abiding in Christ, a vibrant personal walk of faith with Jesus. During the course of the week, various of these topics will be discussed. And Thursday, in the last session, I get a chance to talk about the unity we have in Christ and then to end the conference with a sense of where is God calling us to go. And so I look forward to being able to wrap this week up Saying in light of who we are, I believe this is what God is calling us to be about as a free church movement. Well, as I think about this idea of abiding in Christ and what that means, obviously a scripture that comes right to the top of our thinking would be John chapter 15, which we'll be looking at in just a moment. But I had to look back and I began to ask the question as I thought about even the history of where we've come from as a free church movement. Uh, the truth is, the, the free church was born out of the church. If you go back to those early days in the Scandinavian countries, it was born out of the state church. But it was a church that had grown dead. And it was spiritually lethargic. And as a part of an incredible move of the Spirit of God, the winds of, re- of revival spread. And people began to see the gospel of Jesus Christ and began to experience what a vibrant walk of faith in Jesus Christ was like. It changed their lives. Individuals were changed. Families were changed. Communities were impacted as these new believers began to gather together in what they first called readers groups as they gathered to read the scriptures and then what they called free churches. And as they immigrated to the U.S., they planted churches here on both coasts and in the heartland of America. And it was based on this vibrant walk of faith in Jesus Christ. Rob mentioned a few moments ago, this church hosted the Swedish Free Church Conference. If you go, if you go to, the chap, to the little prayer chapel area here on campus, you will see the cornerstone from Swedish Evangelical Free Church, 1925. And this sense of what it means to have a living, vibrant faith in Jesus Christ has been rooted from the very beginnings of our movement through to what we do today. But before we look into the scriptures, I want to put some real flesh on this for you, some real life stuff for you. And I've invited two people just to come and be with me for a few moments here on the platform just to answer a couple of simple questions to give a little insight into their lives of what it means to have a vibrant walk of faith in Jesus Christ. First off, Amy Medina, who originally grew up in California. In fact, I was privileged to be Amy's pastor for a few years when I was a pastor there. Amy grew up as a missionary kid in West Africa. She and her husband, Gil, have served for a number of years with Reach Global in Tanzania. And since 2001, as they've been involved in their ministry in Tanzania, they've adopted four Tanzanian kids along the way. 
And God has continued to use Gil in a ministry to be equipping pastors, and Amy will soon start a new ministry as the principal of Haven of Peace Academy uh, Primary School or the elementary school. Then Larry Austin has been involved in discipleship ministries for a long time, first in the local church. He and his wife, Laura, were involved at what was First Free Church in Ames, Iowa for a number of years. And for the last number of years, Larry's been on staff at the Central District in the area of church health and really investing in, in people's lives. And so I'm, I've invited them just to come and, and interact a little bit with me. Go ahead and have a seat because I just want to, I just have a couple of questions I really want to talk to you about that I think would be helpful in giving, putting some flesh on this whole thing for us because ultimately we really want to have a vibrant personal walk of faith. I mean, I, I look at this group and I don't think there's a person out here that would say, John 15, I love that passage, abide in me and let your word and all of that connection in a vibrant walk of faith. And yet the truth is we live busy lives and we live lives that are pressure packed. And so I just want to begin, Amy, if you could start, share with us a little bit, what are some of those challenges you find in, in living a life of really abiding in Christ, of that vibrant walk of faith? What are some of those challenges for you? Well, the last 10 years I've been a stay-at-home mom, and it might be sacrilegious to say my children, (laughs) because as everyone knows, children kill your brain cells, and they also are not very conducive for peace and quiet, and so that's definitely been a challenge for me, different points in my life in the last years of just being able to find that peace and quiet, to have time to really... Um, prayerfully abide in Christ. But I would also say that in living overseas, it's been a challenge um, in our city just to find church fellowship that's really going to help us grow. And partly that's because we're the ministers a lot of the time, but also just because there's just not a lot of churches where there's really God-centered gospel preaching happening, which is why we're there, but then that means that's a challenge for us. And lastly, and probably most importantly, I would say also just my own sinfulness. I think that, you know, I can make lots of excuses, but ultimately, um, I think I can live a life independently of God. And so that's what's going to keep me from being more prayerfully dependent on him. Larry, how about you? As you look at your life. Uh, Certainly, like anybody else, uh, distraction is a big issue, Uh, busyness. Uh, I think each season of life uh, has provided its own unique challenges. But I think mine's a little more like Amy's last point is the thing that I fight through a lifetime of walking with Jesus in ministry is just that fine line between operating out of a, a sense of godly confidence in the work of Christ and the gift of the Spirit and the investments of others in you. That's a, that's a good thing. But then not accounting for uh, the presence of the flesh. And I had a, a mentor that said, you know, you just don't reform the flesh. And so what can happen is you can slip uh, in a moment of time from that godly confidence to just, you know, striving, uh, being self-reliant in ministry, doing things for God, uh, but not in the power of the Spirit. And uh, there's, you, you begin to realize that when you, you know, are exhausted and, and uh, you've run the, the red lights a little bit. Yep. What, what have you found that's helpful? for you in that. I mean, I, I think I look at, I listen to what both of you shared and I go, I raised both hands. That's me. Yeah. So what have you found that's helpful? You know, I think there's, there's two things. One is just a mindset uh, that I've kind of clung to and shared with others in ministry that really abiding with Christ is a relationship to be cultivated, not an activity to be mastered. And if you, yeah. 
kind of lean or tilt towards self-reliance, you can um, begin to engage spiritual disciplines as something to be good at, you know. And if I'm good at it, then maybe, you know, the life of God will follow. And, uh, the, you know, just the whole idea of it being a relationship kind of changes the tone of it uh, and the approach. And then what I can do is I just, I'm intentional. Even though it's, it's not something to be mastered, I, I block out time every week, every month, every year for just kind of longer uh, times to reflect, uh, to linger over the Word of God, to let the Spirit of God speak. And it's in those times that, um, that I, you know, the, the really important stuff of repentance, uh, relational repair, uh, being able to discern, uh, like a lot of leaders, you know, what's good, better, and best, um, to get, you know, the, the why behind the what of, of ministry a lot of times. They come out of those, those times that I literally just block into my schedule uh, with no agenda. Thank you. Amy, how about you? What have you found in a busy household? Yeah, similar, similar things. I think that making the discipline of having time alone with God has, has to be a priority, and that has looked different different years. And for a long time, that meant getting up before my children in the morning because that was really my only opportunity to have that. But, um, and then also just looking for fellowship in different ways. If we weren't going to find it in church, then to find it in a small group of people that are going to really be willing to pray and seek God together. And so that's also been something, especially in the last few years, has been a really big blessing to be able to find that. But then also I think that um, changing my perspective to, to look at the challenges that I face either as a mom or just in living in a developing country and not having electricity sometimes or running water or even just the bigger issues of dealing with poverty and that kind of thing and using those instead of as an opportunity to complain but as an opportunity to press in deeper in knowing Christ and saying having these things in my life is an opportunity. And so that doesn't always happen, but that's what I'm going for. Well, thank you. I, I'm sure as you heard what both Amy and Larry shared, there are some things you said, that's me. That's part of my life. And that's part of the reality of, as I've heard for years and years, the problem with life is that it's such a daily thing. It just kind of keeps coming, doesn't it? Every day. Would you thank Amy and Larry for helping me with today and just putting a little, a little bit of a heart on that for us? Now, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 15, because in just the few moments we have left, we're going to look together about at John chapter 15. It's this incredible passage, and it really begins with the first several verses are an extended metaphor, verses 1 to 8. It's this amazing picture, this wonderful extended metaphor, and then some interpretation in the following verses. So we're going to move through this quickly, but I, but I want you to get a sense of what it means for us, because honestly, this idea of abiding in Christ is what the world around us needs to see from us. The world around us assumes that the church, that Christians have an agenda, and it's agenda they want, and we want to push down their throats. The reality is we have an incredible relationship with the living God through his son, Jesus Christ, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that gives us an ability to walk a life that really, as John Ortberg says, is the with God life, where our lives are changed. It's that personal connectedness. So look with me at John chapter 15, verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He starts by identifying himself as that true vine in opposition or in contrast to Israel. 
In multiple places throughout the Old Testament, Israel is described as a vine. And the problem with Israel is that, as we read in the book of Isaiah in chapter 40, as we read in, 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 in Psalms as well, what we find is that that vine produced wild grapes, grapes that weren't any good, or produced nothing. He said, I'm the true vine. And every branch in me that does not bear fruit the Father takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So Jesus is the vine. The Father is the gardener or the vine dresser. And what a vine dresser does is a vine dresser cuts away the dead wood that's producing nothing, and he prunes back the living branches so they produce more. The Father is the vine dresser. Now what I love about about verse 2 As in verse 2, it's clear the Father is eager to see abundant fruits in our lives. He prunes us back so that we will produce more fruits and make it even more productive of what we would be doing in walking with Him and serving Him. But keep coming with me as He says in verse 4. He says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now certainly it doesn't mean nothing without exception. There's a lot of things that can be done in our own flesh and strength. But things of eternal value are things that are done as we bear fruit as a result of this ongoing, in a sense, organic connection of dependence upon the vine, upon the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's under the care of the vine dresser. So I love about this, this scripture passage. In fact, if you see chapter 15, we won't have time to get all the way there. Chapter 15 ends with the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We have the Father as the vine dresser. We have Jesus as the vine. The the Father's goal is that we produce much fruit. That's his desire. And that only happens as we remain connected into the vine. And in the end of chapter 15, he talks about the empowering ministry of the Holy Spirit that he would send that we now know not only lives among us, but lives in us. Now that connection we find in verse 7 as you keep reading He says in verse 6 and 7, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask what you wish and it will be done for you. I think it's fascinating as I look at that verse, this connection, this abiding connection as Amy and Larry talked about has to do with both the word and prayer. The word of God dwelling richly within us. As we ask according to his will, as John wrote in 1 John, if we ask prayer according to the will of God, we know that he hears us, and we know if he hears us that he will answer what we have asked as we ask according to his will. So a part of this abiding, this relationship, is the word of God that just so touches our hearts and in prayer as we connect and walk with God. But then look with me at verse 8 as he ties this, this extended metaphor together. Because in verse 8 it says, By this my Father's glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. 
Uh, it's interesting in the metaphor that this, this fruitfulness has two outcomes. It brings glory to the Father, which, is, which, is that, which really is that vertical outcome. It brings glory to God, and people around us will see we're followers of Jesus. It's what he longs for in our lives. Now, now the question is, what is this fruitfulness? Oh, and some have said, well, it's the fruit of the Spirit in people's lives. And others have said, well, certainly it's more believers. It's the fruit of more people coming to know Jesus. And and I've had some people ask me, well, what is it? And I said, as I think about those two, the answer is yes. It's both of them and more. It is what we do in the power of the Spirit that reflects the character of God and how we live lives of love and obedience in our lives. So so look with me if if the interpretation and a sense of this little metaphor starts in verse 9. And in verse 9, Jesus goes on and says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now abide in my love. It's interesting. It is as though he now defines abiding or remaining or staying. That word is translated in different translations. I'm using the ESV today. The idea of abiding or remaining or even staying. It's the idea of remaining connected, staying in that relationship with him. And now he defines it almost as he's saying, it is about abiding in my love, Jesus said. I I find it interesting that in Galatians chapter 5, the apostle Paul is writing, and he says this in 5 verses 1 through 6. This is the essence of what he says. Faith is the only grounds for justification, and love is the fruit of faith. He goes on in describing this for us. If you keep reading with me into verse 10. In verse 10, Jesus says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Somebody's asked me, so how do I abide? How do I stay in this relationship that remains with Jesus, this beautiful vine and and branches image? The reality is, is that obedience is the means of abiding. This is not a work salvation, friends. This is not if you just do enough good things and right things that suddenly now you've earned God's favor. But I find it interesting that Jesus says in this verse, in, in verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. There's a sense of obedience as that means of abiding. It's, it's listening to the word of God speak to our hearts. It's listening to the spirit of God, those promptings in our soul. And it's saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And I'll obey you even if it's hard. And there is a sense of the smile of God and remaining and walking with him that comes out of lives of obedience that help us to cultivate a vibrant relationship with the Lord Jesus. I know in my own life when I felt like, wow, it seems like my relationship with the Lord is not what it, what it was even days or weeks ago. Part of that, I look, need to look inside and say, what are those things that are more about me than about Christ? And I have to wrestle with that. Uh, along with, he goes on in verse 11 and he says, 
These things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So if obedience is the means of abiding in his love, then joy is the outcome of that obedience. He said, as you remain in my love, as you obey me, your heart will be filled with joy. I pray that joy would overflow in your life. You know what I found traveling the continent of Africa for a decade or more? I was with people from an earthly perspective, had nothing, and were being persecuted for their faith, and their hearts were full of joy because all they had was Jesus, and he was more than enough for them. And isn't that what we need to recognize? Jesus is what we have, and praise God, he wants that relationship of connection with us. And then the application the application of this abiding in his love, if we stay abiding by obedience and, 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 and it really leads us to joy that, that is in a sense that reflective outcome, then the practical application comes in verses 12 and 13. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. It's about loving and caring for one another. You see, this abiding in Christ is a continual personal relationship with Jesus characterized by trust and dependent prayer and obedience and joy and love. And sometimes what I find, I bump into Christians who can quote all the right Bible verses and tell me about all the long quiet times and prayer times they have and they're just plain crotchety. Okay? I mean, I had one lady, she was in our church and church that I served in, and, and honestly, she, she, she said, we need more deep Bible study in this church. And, and then I got to know her, and my thought, I said this to one of, my, some of the staff guys in the church, I said, if that's what deep Bible study does to you, I don't think I want it. The truth is, this is about pursuing Jesus. It's not a formula. It's not a list of rules to follow. It's a dynamic, dependent relationship. We step into it every day. It ebbs and it flows. And there's some days it's like, I just feel like I'm so close to Christ. And some days I'm like, wow, I know, Jesus, I'm just trusting you're here because you said you're here. It's the ebbs and flows of life. And rather than a formula, it flows from the heart of Jesus to our hearts and back to his hearts. There's not a list of to-dos. You can't discipline yourself alone into this. It's your heart. It's from your heart. You see, he wants you to abide in him, to remain in him, to stay in him in ways that he made you. You can ask Becky, if you want to drive me crazy, lock me alone in a room for like three or four days. I need people to interact with. I need people to talk to. When I pray, and when prayer is the most meaningful to me, is when I'm praying with other people. That's how God wired me. I came to realize that if I go alone too long, that doesn't help my walk of faith. If I go with people who are pursuing Jesus, it draws me together with them and with him. That's how he made me. And I need to celebrate that, like you need to celebrate how he made you. Remaining in him. 
You see, it is the Word of God and the work of the Spirit of God in the context of redemptive relationships with the people of God that He changes us. And what the world needs to see is winsome Christ-like people who are so connected to Jesus that what people see is Christ in them, the hope of glory. Amen? Let me close with just a really short story. Randy Disher, a good friend of mine in the Twin City area, Randy was telling me about a guy in his church that shared with him in the lobby after church one Sunday just one incredible thing that happened in his life. Randy and the leaders of his church have really had a heart for evangelism, wanting to increase the evangelism temperature of their congregation. In fact, they helped launch a cohort of 10 free churches that are just focusing on how do we become better at seeing people come to Jesus, something we'd love to see happen all across the U.S. Well, a guy in his church named Joe, Joe's an attorney, Joe got a call one day from a family that said, would you come to the hospital and meet with our father? He's dying of cancer, and he needs to get all of his last, last things in order. And so Joe went to the hospital, went through all of the legal things that he needed to do in meeting with this man who was dying of cancer. And then he got to the very end, and he said, I'll put together some of the paperwork. I'll come back so you can sign it. And he said, I just want you to know I'm praying for your health. And then as Joe said, he said, it was like the Spirit of God just grabbed him and said, you're praying for his health. The man is dying. And so Joe turned back to him, and he asked him, he said, uh, do you have any assurance of eternal life after the end of this life? And Joe said, I felt like it wasn't even me speaking. It was like the Spirit of God had just been prompting in my heart. And, and this man said, no, I don't. And Joe said, I'm a follower of Jesus. And he shared the gospel. And then he said, if I led you in a brief prayer, would you pray with me? And, and so right there in the hospital room, this attorney is leading this man to Jesus because he had heard the evangelism taught by his church, lived out by his fellowship, and the Spirit of God was tugging on his heart. And he said, yes, I'm going to obey. And he led the man to Christ. And he about, he about flew out of the hospital room. Two days later, he got a call from one of, this, one of this man's sons who said, we're having a problem with some issue, some legal issue, and would you, uh, we need some help to know what to do with it. And he said, well, that's easy. Just go to the hospital, have your dad sign this paper, and we're good. And, and his son said, you mean you didn't hear? Uh, my father died yesterday. And then the next day, Joe got a call from one of the daughters who he'd never met. And the daughter said, I just want to, Mr. Field, I just want to thank you for the help you did legally for our family. But what I really want to thank you for is that you led my father to Jesus. Who would have thought a lawyer would lead my father to Jesus in the hospital? <laughs> but you did. And she said, and here's what I want you to know. We've been trying to share Christ with my dad for weeks. And he was non-responsive. In fact, he would just look at us and say, you know, for me, it's just lights out. And so she said, I went to my pastor, and I said, Pastor, could we get our church praying for my dad? Because he needs to know Jesus. And so this, this church that's about 50 or 60 miles north of where, of where uh, Constance Free Church is, they committed to pray, and they prayed and prayed and prayed, and she said, you are the answer to the prayers of my congregation and my family. And then he said, what church do you go to? She said, I I go to an evangelical free church just 50 miles up the road. 
And you know what Joe's comment to Randy was? And with this, I'll close. He said, ever since that happened, something forever changed in my heart. And my walk with Christ is something that I'm now looking at. Lord, where do you want to use me here? How how do you want me to be involved in this, in serving you? The word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God and a humble man who said, I'll obey you because I want to abide with you. Father, I ask that you would teach us how we can do that in our lives and how we can teach those in our churches that it's not about performing for you. It's about walking with you. It's, it's about listening to your word and your spirit. It's, it, 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 it really is about the word of God and the spirit of God and the people of God and somehow you do something incredible as we are willing to remain in you. And Lord, is a free church, we can talk about a lot of stuff we want to do. But if we aren't walking with you, what do we have to give? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the EFCA Theology Podcast. You can find more episodes by searching EFCA Theology Podcast in any podcast app or on the web at efca.org slash podcast.